Hello, I'm Jesse Walls from Eagle Hawk Presbyterian Church. We're a church seeking to make disciple-making disciples of Jesus. Thank you to Life FM for continuing to host us. Today, as we look to God's Word, our reading is Acts 9, verses 1 to 19. So you can begin looking that up now. This sermon was recorded live at Eagle Hawk Presbyterian Church. After reading the passage, we'll hear the children's talk. So, if you have children, make sure they're listening. And then we'll go to the sermon. So let's read Acts 9, verses 1 to 19. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were travelling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. And now it's over to the children's talk. Hello everyone, it is good to have you here with us. Now, who can remember what we have been learning about these last couple of weeks? Which book of the Bible have we been in? Okay, Acts, that's right. And what does Acts teach us? <laughs> Hannah? The mission of the living of the risen King Jesus cannot be stopped. That's right. The mission of the risen King Jesus cannot be stopped. Exactly right. And who is this? This is Rupert. That's exactly right. Rupert. Now, Rupert, at the start of this year, he was taught by his mum 
a very special game. Can you tell me what you would play on this kind of a board? Chess. Chess, exactly right. You play chess on this kind of board. And at the start of this year, Rupert was learning how to play chess and was taught by his mum. And he made it his mission. He made it his mission that he would be the best chess player in his class. And so he was going to practice and practice and practice. And he would go to chess club during recess and he would play with his mum whenever he got the chance. He was desperate. This was his mission, to play chess and to be the best. But there was a problem. There were a few good players in his class, people who knew how to play chess really well. One of them was Barbie. Barbie loved chess and had learned how to play chess much earlier than Rupert had. Barbie knew all the tricks. She knew the best strategies to use, the best places to move the pieces on the board to stop what Rupert was trying to do and to make sure that she could win. Now, Rupert's mission, remember, was to be the best in his class at chess. What do you think his chances are? Do you think he's going to do it? Who thinks? Put up your hand if you think Rupert is going to achieve his mission. Oh, you do. You think that he's going to achieve his mission? Okay. Who thinks that he won't achieve his mission? Oh, I've got a few more people who say no, and I've got a whole lot of people who haven't put their hand up at all. Do you not know? Are you not willing to put yourself out there and vote? Maybe. Just the, the stakes are too high. Okay, maybe. 50-50. Yeah, you're right. The story always takes a weird turn. Yeah, do you know? I don't know. I don't know if Rupert this year becomes the best in his class because the year hasn't played out yet, has it? But yeah, it's... You're the one who makes up this story. I know I'm the one who makes up the story, but the story hasn't reached its end yet. We're still in the middle of the year. All I can say is, at this point of year, halfway through the year... He's not the best yet. He hasn't achieved his mission. He, so far, is being thwarted, stopped by Barbie. But the good thing is, when we're reading through the book of Acts, we know that the mission, can you do it with me? The mission of the risen King Jesus cannot be stopped. Rupert's mission might be stopped, but Jesus' mission can't be. Can't be. Rupert, he had, might be a bit strong to call her an enemy, but he had oh, an opponent who was really very good, very smart, very good at chess. I don't know. I don't think she boasts about it, but she's just really, really good. But we've been reading in the book of Acts about a certain man 
a man who, like Barbie, has managed to stop Rupert from being the best in his class at chess. This man is trying to stop Jesus' mission from being successful. This man was named Saul. And Saul was going around and he was arresting Christians and he was happy when Christians were put in jail. He was desperately trying to stop Jesus' mission. Jesus' mission of saving people. Jesus' mission of having people recognize him as king. Saul didn't want people to know that Jesus was king. And so he was trying to stop it. But in our story, did you hear? Did you hear that Jesus' mission cannot be stopped? Not even by Saul? What did God do to Saul? What did Jesus do to Saul? That's right. Saul was blinded for three days. And after that, Saul turned to Jesus. Saul knew that Jesus really was the risen king. He knew that, and so when he saw that Jesus was the risen king, he thought, there's no way I can fight against him. He wasn't like Barbie, who was so good at chess. When it came to Jesus, Saul knew that he didn't have a chance. The mission of the risen King Jesus cannot be stopped. His mission could be stopped. Rupert's mission could be stopped. But not Jesus. So let's say a prayer and be thankful that not even someone like Saul can stop Jesus' mission. Let's say a prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus, that he is so strong, so powerful, that no one can stand against him, no one can stop him achieving his mission. <coughs> Help us to trust him, to not be scared, but to know that he will do everything that he needs to do to achieve his mission. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's come and let's say a prayer and ask that God would help us to understand more of his word. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, you are so kind as to give us your word. And now we pray that your spirit would be at work in our hearts, in our minds, to understand this part. Help us to be full of encouragement. Help us to rejoice as we see all that Jesus does in it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in Prince Caspian, one of the books from the Chronicles of Narnia, all hope seemed lost. For generations, all of the talking animals, the dwarfs, the fawns, the giants, they had been living in hiding. Men from another nation had come and they had taken over Narnia. And so all of the old Narnians, because they'd been in hiding for generations now, all of these old Narnians were almost forgotten until Caspian came. He was from this other nation of men, but he ended up gathering all of these old Narnians to fight. He was to be their king. But it wasn't going well. 
They'd been in too many battles. They had suffered too many losses. They were all injured. They were running out of food. It seemed as though the tyrants were going to win. Unless help came soon, they were doomed. And that feeling of doom has been familiar to Jesus' church throughout history. Even today, we have brothers and sisters in places like China and Iran, North Korea, Somalia, many other places. People who are, we have them who are meeting in homes, trying not to draw attention to themselves. They pray and they sing quietly. But despite their best efforts, someone will barge in. Their hearts will sink. That feeling of doom will hit and they'll be taken, hurt, charged, degraded, maybe killed. And it was happening all those years ago at the very beginning of the church. After Stephen was killed in Acts 7, chapter 8 told us that a great persecution arose against the church in Jerusalem and the church was scattered. It says Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. The rest of chapter 8 focused on the spreading of the church, but now we return to Saul. And while some were no doubt in despair, the mission of the risen King Jesus cannot be stopped. Certainly not by Saul. Instead, Saul was saved to serve. This chapter tells the incredible story of a dramatic change, not only in Saul's life, but in the life of the church. It all starts in verses 1 to 9, our first section, when Saul was blinded by Jesus. We've seen the Samaritans and the Ethiopian eunuch believe in Jesus. They've found forgiveness for their sins through his death and and submitted to him as the risen king of the kingdom. And now we find Saul the same as when we left him. Chapter 9, verse 1, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. This is a terrifying picture. He is ravaging the church, breathing threats and murder. All he can talk about is putting a stop to those of the way. He wants to utterly destroy them. He's not content with stamping them out in Jerusalem. He gets permission to go to Damascus, 242 kilometres north of Jerusalem in the region of Syria. Saul was like a missile locked onto his target. There was no escape. No amount of manoeuvring could break that missile lock. If you've seen movies of fighter pilots, you can imagine that alarm beeping, warning the pilot that they're in someone's missile lock. Imagine the dread, that feeling of doom. 
But everything changes in verse 3. Because the mission of the risen King Jesus cannot be stopped. Remember, in chapter 1, Jesus ascended into heaven. Jesus, the Christ, the anointed king, is now seated at the right hand of God, ruling from that position of power and authority. This is the great White House. This is the great Parliament House. And at first, that reality is completely hidden from Saul. Verse 3, now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Paul will talk about this moment two more times in the book of Acts. He says first that this was at noon. So this can't be explained away by saying, well, it's just the sun shining in his eyes. The sun's up there. But he also says that this light was brighter than the sun. God has shown up. While he's always there in the story, here he's directly, visibly and audibly stepping into the story of which he is its author. This is God the Son, Jesus the King, stepping in not only to rescue his people, but to completely upend Saul's life. What does he say? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? A movie was released about two decades ago where a young man stole a car. He'd been hanging around car thieves, feeling disrespected because he he wasn't allowed to go and steal cars with, with all of them. And so when he comes across a car, and it's unlocked with the key in the, in the ignition, he stole it. As he describes what he did to his friends, the others, they get suspicious. They open the boot, and there is a lot of drugs there. And they start to panic. He has stolen a car from a drug-dealing gang. Once they realise who they have wronged, Things get serious very quickly. I imagine that same moment of dread came upon Saul as he heard those words. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? But it should give us great comfort. Jesus isn't this aloof king in his ivory tower, unconcerned with the struggles of his people. No, he's here with us as we suffer. As we suffer for him, he is with us. He so identifies with us that it's as if he is suffering alongside us. Jesus anticipated this in Luke 10, 16, where he said, the one who hears you, hears me. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. His people were suffering and Jesus was there with them. The church is his body. It's his his people, his bride. To attack it, to attack her, the people he loves and died for, is to attack him. 
Saul doesn't know who this is, and so Jesus identifies himself by name and orders him to go into Damascus and to wait to be told what to do. He orders his enemy around, and Saul has no choice but to obey. But he needs help. Verse 8, Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. He's been blinded by Jesus, the bright light of his appearing. We're taught not to look directly into the sun. The same warning comes whenever there's a solar eclipse. Never look directly at the sun. Never look at the solar eclipse. And here, the light of Jesus was too great. The once proud and strong Saul is led by the hand into Damascus. And for three days, verse 9, he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Sounds like fasting to me. It sounds like repentance for being so blind to the truth that Jesus is king. Saul was blinded by Jesus. Why? Was it to rescue his people from suffering? To save Saul himself from sinning further and and bring him into new life with Jesus? Yes, but there's another purpose which Jesus gives. In the next section, verses 10 to 19, we see Saul was chosen by Jesus. And the reason... Saul was saved to serve. Saul's praying in Jesus during those three days of blindness and fasting appears to Ananias in a vision, verse 10. He's told, go to this house because Saul of Tarsus is there and he has seen you come to him in a vision and lay hands on him and and give him sight. Verses 13 and 14. But Ananias answered, Lord... I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. Saul's reputation has gone before him. The church in Damascus knows exactly what he's come there for. The once proud and strong Saul has come. And Ananias is frightened. Ananias isn't sure that it's a good idea to give Saul his sight back. Now, why did Ananias question Jesus? I doubt that he thought that Jesus just didn't have enough information. See, this isn't the outrage of the primary school classroom when the troublemaker gets that special task of going and getting all of the lunch orders. That is a special job, a prize job. Imagine the student who has been so disruptive and and bullying that that child gets chosen to do such an important task. The others in the classroom would want to make sure that the teacher knew exactly how unfair that was. List out all the wrongs committed by this person just that day and probably every other day as if the teacher didn't already know. No, Ananias knew 
that Jesus was on the throne of heaven. That he saw everything that was happening on earth. Jesus knew the troubles that his church had faced because of Saul. He wasn't giving Jesus new information. But he was unloading his fears in prayer. That's what happens all the time in the Psalms. When they were feeling stressed, overwhelmed, attacked, they brought it to God. And they didn't just say, God, you know everything that's happening, so please help. No, they spelled out in detail what was going on, how they were feeling. They emptied out their heart, not because they thought that God needed more information, but they did it to unload all of their cares and their anxieties onto God. That's what we should do in our prayers. God knows our troubles, but we can spell them out for him. He will listen because he cares. Jesus hears and he he responds. He gives more detail to Ananias. Verses 15 and 16. Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to uh, to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. You see that? Saul has been chosen by Jesus. Jesus chose to save his enemy, to interrupt him on his path of hatred and persecution. Saul is saved to serve. And his service is to bring the gospel to the world. What he had tried to crush, he would spread. He would be Jesus' ambassador, declaring forgiveness through Jesus' death, that he was the sacrifice who died in the place of sinners, taking their place, their punishment, that punishment that we deserve. And importantly, he will suffer for Jesus' name. Not because Jesus was holding a grudge and thought that, yeah, you know, I've saved him, but he still needs to get his. No, he would suffer because that was a sign that he was an authentic apostle and servant of Jesus. When there were false apostles in Corinth, where there was a church that he had started, And these false apostles were bad-mouthing Paul. He wrote a letter to them and appealed to his sufferings. They proved that he was Jesus' servant. He had been saved to serve, to spread the message of the kingdom, that others would be saved. And so he suffered just as his Lord suffered. See, this is a turning point. Not only for Saul, but for the world. And I have never heard a decent attempt to explain this moment away. If you're someone who doesn't believe in Jesus, or you don't know what you think about Jesus, you need to grapple with why this person, why Saul, slash Paul, because that's what he'd be called later on, why did he become a Christian? Why go from persecutor to persecuted, from hating the message to spreading the message? See, people often assume that 
People like the 12 apostles and like Paul, they did it for the power that they get to manipulate weak-minded people and become the leaders of a new religion. Didn't exactly work out very well for them, though. Like, sure, we can can look back now and say, wow, look at us, 2,000 years later, we really respect them. But back then, they suffered. They wouldn't have cared what we would think 2,000 years in the future. They were suffering right then and there. Their lives were constantly threatened. Some of the churches, we've already seen Corinth, they turned against Paul. Some of his letters were appeals to these churches to get them to not reject him, to not reject the message that he had preached. Surely if he'd made it up, he'd give it up and go do something that was a whole lot easier. What makes the most sense from what we know of history? This is a major reason for why I am a Christian. Nothing else makes sense of Saul becoming Paul, of the strong persecutor of, of, of the church becoming the weak, persecuted preacher. He really did have an encounter with the risen Lord Jesus. And if Jesus is alive, I should worship him. So Ananias goes to Saul so that he would see and be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the first day of the rest of his life. The scales fall from his eyes. He sees, he is baptised and he eats, preparing for his new life. He was blinded by Jesus and he's been chosen by Jesus. The mission of the risen King Jesus cannot be stopped. The great persecutor was stopped in his tracks. Saul was saved to serve, to bring the gospel to the world, and our world was turned upside down. And so what should be our takeaway from this story? Some of you have dramatic stories of how you came to Jesus, and others of you are like me, growing up and just believing this to be the truth from birth and, and never really turning from it. But all of us who believe, like Saul, have been saved to serve. And so in our third heading, how can we live as servants of Jesus? At the very least, our life needs to be founded on hope. We should have hope for our loved ones who don't yet know Jesus. I know that it is very easy to give up on the people that you love to be discouraged and to blame yourself, to feel as though they are doomed. Parents in particular struggle with blame, with self-blame, when their children grow up and reject Jesus. And I, I know you have prayed and prayed for years and years, but you haven't seen any change. No sign that they might reconsider. Maybe your child is fiercely against Jesus. They have no time for him or or conversations about him. Or maybe they're apathetic. They just don't give him a second thought. They don't care enough to engage in conversation about him. Or maybe they think that actually they've found all the answers to their spiritual needs somewhere else, in some other religion, some other spirituality, in some political ideology. 
When you read this story of Saul, you can have hope. Even for your child who seems so far away from Jesus. Saul was breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord and Jesus literally stopped him in his tracks. Keep praying for your children who don't know Jesus. I know you are, but keep doing it. Don't give up. Don't give in to that feeling of doom. The mission of the risen King Jesus cannot be stopped and so Jesus called Saul, transforming him into Paul, the great apostle to the Gentiles. Your child, your loved one, is not too far away from Jesus. If Jesus calls them, they will come. That's what Paul said in Romans 8. He knows this firsthand. Those whom he foreknew, he predestined, called, justified, glorified. There's no drop-off there. All those Jesus calls, all of them that he calls, will be justified and will be glorified, all of them. If Jesus calls you, there's no escape from him. He will achieve his purposes in you. He will change your heart of stone into a heart of flesh. He will raise the spiritually dead to life. He will give eyes to see. He will become so beautiful, so wonderful to them, that they can't help but come to him. He will be irresistible to them. And so pray. The Bible is full of people coming to the Lord who you would never imagine would do that. Abraham worshipped the stars. Nineveh was so corrupt that they were going to be destroyed in 40 days. Saul was desperate to arrest and kill Christians. Pray that he would do the same for your loved ones. Saul was saved to serve. And so are you. Serve your children, your other family members, your friends, your workmates. Serve them by praying for them regularly, each day. Write down their names on a list and make sure you pray through it every day. Pray that they would be saved, that they would love the Lord Jesus, find forgiveness and life and hope in him. And while we're at it, let's pray for our political leaders. They need it, don't they? We can see by the laws that they produce how far away from Jesus they are, how far away from the truth they are. We wonder how long it will be before there are modern-day souls here in Australia on the loose, men and women arresting Christians because they hate Jesus, because they follow the state religion where we worship the self. Pray that they will be forgiven, saved, that they would serve the cause of Jesus, not only by making good laws so that we can have peace, but that they would love their families and and their staff and, and lead others to Christ. This true story of the conversion of Saul should fill us with hope. There is no one beyond Jesus' reach. Not Saul, not your son, your daughter, 
friend, father, mother, husband, wife. Not the prime minister or the premier. Can you imagine what we would be like if we had this hope? We would stop having all these conversations which are full of despair at our political situation where we just keep listing off all the problems that we see. Instead, all those problems that come to our mind would create this impromptu prayer meeting where we pray for them. Instead of complaining, we would be praying, we'd be in prayer, not only for our unbelieving children, but for everyone else's. The mission of the risen King Jesus cannot be stopped, and so Saul was saved to serve, to go to the Gentiles, to kings, to Israel. Now, we'll think more about how we can speak the gospel to our our loved ones next week, but for now, let's not lose hope for our loved ones who are so far from Jesus. Saul was saved to serve, and so are we, and so let's Pray for our loved ones with hope, rejoicing that Jesus is irresistibly beautiful to those he calls. Let's pray. Our God, we do thank you for the hope that we have. The hope that we can have because we see what you have done in Saul. We see what you have done in us. We see what you did all throughout the, uh, the history of the Old Testament and all throughout the history of your church. We can think of uh, particular big uh, uh, people throughout church history who were upended by the gospel of Jesus. And so we thank you that because of these examples that we have, because we know your great power and your great love for people, that we can have hope. And so we pray for our loved ones our loved ones who have turned away from you, we ask that you would draw them back. We ask that they would know you, that you would become beautiful to them, that you would draw them to yourself by your spirit, giving them a new heart to believe. Lord, for people here who uh, do not know you, we pray that they would. We pray that even now you'll be drawing them to you, Our Lord God, be the God of salvation, even here. Lord, may we not drown in despair as we see loved ones turned away from you. Fill us with hope, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm Jesse Walls from Eagle Hawk Presbyterian Church, and I pray you've been blessed as you've spent this time in God's Word. Next week, we'd love to have you join us in person for our service at 10am. I hope to see you there. And as always, if you'd like to make a comment on what you've heard today, you have a question, or you're looking for a church, then please get in contact with us. Our website is eaglehawkpc.org.au. You can also contact us through Facebook or Instagram. God bless you.